Hey there, Crosswinds family and friends. Welcome to Crosswinds Unleashed. Each week, we're dedicated to bringing the best stories and biblical life principles from authentic believers. Our podcast breaks down the Christian life through interviews and practical instructions and what we hope will be a fun and accessible way. I'm Craig Cooper, the host of this podcast and lead pastor of Crosswinds Church. Let me give a special shout out to Elijah Merrill, our producer, and Sheldon Boyce, our assistant producer. All that's good, I give credit to them. Everything else, I'll take full responsibility. If you want to learn more about the podcast or anything else Crosswinds related, head on over to our website at crosswinds.church. Well, I am so excited to be sitting here with Melissa Briette. Uh, she is a part of a missional business that I want you to be aware of. Um, of course, uh, the airing of this, the original airing of this episode is Black Friday. A lot of people are starting their Christmas shopping. If they, if you haven't, you may want to be thinking about that. And so I wanted to make sure that this episode gave you time to, to respond uh, to this missional business that you're going to be hearing about in just a minute. Um, but before we jump in, Melissa, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to be here. You might remember Melissa from the uh, from the uh, podcast uh, of the Zambia Mission Team. Uh, she was a part of that, but she's had missions as part of her emphasis in her life for many years now. And so, um, Melissa, I want to start with that. Like, what, what was the first thing that sort of what was that spark uh, that brought you to thinking missionally? You know, outside of sort of your local neighborhood and area type of thing. Wow, that's a great question. You know, I remember way back when I was like 12 years old and just kind of wanting to understand like who God made me to be. And I I was like asking God, like, God, why did you have me be born in the U.S.? Like realizing even at that age that, you know, I was born into so much privilege just because I was born here in the U.S. And, and so I don't know. I think God wired me um, this way. If any of you follow the Enneagram, or I'm a huge Enneagram buff, and that's that's an ancient personality system that the church is using a lot now too, because the amazing thing about it is it's not just telling you, okay, this is who you are and this is who you have to be, but it, it tells you how you can grow and how you can really um, live out who you truly are and grow in that. And so I'm an Enneagram 8, and that's called the Challenger. And part of, part of that is that we stick up for the underdog. We just we care about the vulnerable. And so I think that's always been on my radar. And then just as I've had these really awesome opportunities to live abroad and to travel, um, I've seen up close and personal um, people living in poverty and the many ways that affects them. And of course, not just, you know, physical poverty, but spiritual poverty as well. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I just, I think of Luke 8 and how um, it says that to whom much is given, much is required. And so I've been given much, and I think God requires a lot of me. And not in this like really um, miserly demanding way, but he gives me the opportunity to be a blessing to other people. And then truly, I am the one who's most blessed. So so what came first? Uh, you've lived in different parts of the world. Yes. So what, what, what came first? You living in different parts of the world? Or are you going on a, like short-term mission trips to different parts of the world? Yeah. Um, let's see. I think I lived abroad actually before I went on an international trip. 
Um, I did some study abroad in college, so that maybe whetted my appetite a little bit. And then um, my husband and I, our first opportunity to really do an international thing and experience was um, living and working in Bangkok, Thailand as expats. And, you know, we had a maid that was customary. If you're a foreigner, then you give back to the local economy by having a maid and, you know, hearing Ooh's story and getting to know her and seeing her life. Um, that was probably our first interaction with somebody, you know, really coming out of poverty. So um, seriously, for me, and I think for many people, the more you travel, the more you're exposed to international experiences, the more you want to do it, the, you know, the more you want to see. Um, so yeah, so I just, I don't know, being part of a church internationally has just been so incredibly cool to see, you know, how God is, God chose me and he um, has raised me up to know him since I was little. He's been working all around the world in all kinds of pockets among all kinds of people, drawing them to him as well. So so um, tell me, so when was your first um, mission trip? Was it out of the country? Was it in the country? What, what, what did that look like? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think my first trip back was uh, my first international trip, missions trip, was to to Wales. Okay. Um, in the UK, um, and that was probably about was that about twenty years ago almost. So, and obviously, you know, Wales in the UK wasn't dramatically different. Um, but I just saw the privilege it is to go and experience um, uh, people in a different culture, people who are different from you, people you can learn from and have this deep fellowship with, even though you're from different backgrounds. So I think that's where it all started. Um, in more recent years, I've had the opportunity to go to Cuba. So I've been, been to Cuba three times and just seen how difficult it is for Christians there. Um, they live in poverty and they have so much. Um, yeah, it's just a really difficult place to be a Christian because the government is always watching, always wanting to interfere, um, always oppressing them um, in Cuba. I've been to Peru. I served um, at a home for girls who'd been exploited and abused. They were, they were ranged in age from 12 to 18, and many of them were mothers already. Um, and then most recently, I went to Zambia, Africa this summer um, to serve orphans. So my international experience goes quite a ways back, but I would say even in the last five or six years, um, God's really been tuning my heart to the vulnerable and the oppressed um, internationally and just, you know, how their hope is in Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about this missional business that you're a part of. How long have you been a part of it? How did you become a part of it? Yeah. Uh, give me some background. Absolutely. So I joined Trades of Hope in February of 2020. So that was right before COVID shut everything down. And I was new to living in New York. So my husband and I moved here from Illinois. We'd been, you know, born and raised and lived most of our life in the Midwest. And we were open to an adventure. So we moved here to Western New York. And I thought, wow, you know, um, selling Trades of Hope, partnering with them, like, 
what a worthwhile thing to do, and maybe it's going to be a way for me to get to know more people here in New York. And then, you know, everything shut down. So thinking that I would be hosting gatherings in people's homes um, to tell them about the mission of Trades of Hope and to show them these beautiful artisan-made goods, that didn't really happen. So it became more like a virtual um you know, a, a virtual outlet for me. Um, we marketed them on, you know, Facebook. And um, so anyway, it wasn't what I thought it would be and that it was not a way for me to really network here in New York. But um, but what a cool way to feel like I was doing something. I was helping others. I was serving others. I was giving people hope um, during the really challenging time of COVID. Now, how did you find Trades of Hope and what exactly does Trades of Hope do? Yeah, yes. So I found it through a friend who um, partnered with them and then invited me to. Um, And Trades of Hope is a missional business. So we partner with artisan groups in 19 countries, including the U.S., 80% of our artisans are women, which I have a real passion and a soft spot for women who are um, needing to rise out of poverty. Um, we, We exist basically to provide jobs where there are no other options. So, you know, women working in Haiti, they can, um, they can make these beautiful, um, bracelets out of Haitian clay. They can make beautiful, um, steel pieces out of steel drums, and then they can actually keep their babies. Um, countries like Haiti, where literally people have to give their children away because they cannot feed them. Or, um, you know, in Nepal, women are trafficked. Um, I just read a story today about a young girl who was walking, doing her daily journal to a journey to a well that was like a two-hour walk from where she lived. And a truck driver offered to give her a ride, and then he abducted her and forced her into trafficking. So again, we work with artisans in Nepal who make beautiful garments for us. And, you know, again, in, you know, in um, Vietnam and in the Philippines and in Peru and in Mexico, so 19 countries and the U.S. So there's a really cool group we partner with in Baltimore, which is women coming out of sex trafficking and, you know, addiction and poverty, um, and this this is helping them. This fair trade job, this dignified job is helping them rise out of poverty and build build a better life. Yeah, it, the, you know, the trafficking uh, and, you know, whether it be trafficking of workers or, or yes. sex workers um, is a global yes. sin. I don't know how else to say that. You yes. know, I think uh, we may feel like we're isolated here in the States, but the reality of it is the numbers continue to rise, even in the States, of those yes. who who are forced into this type of lifestyle. And so it's amazing that you're able to, you know, throughout the world and also here in the States, help those who, who are finding themselves in that situation. I like the way you said, have a dignified job, right, and, and, and be able to realize that that no matter what has happened in your past, God does have a future for you. Yes. Uh, and um, uh, that that's just remarkable. Um, how do how do they? Just out of curiosity, how do these ladies? How do they find you guys? Yes. So so you know these little pockets of hope exist in the form of artisan groups. Okay. Now I think they've probably started a lot of them by missionaries. Okay. 
or, you know, non-government organizations have funded and somehow maybe foreigners have helped them get started. Like I know there's a group in um, northern Thailand that is founded by Americans. Okay. That is helping women come out of the brothels because then they have a job they can do yeah. instead of working in the brothels. So just a variety of ways these little these little artisan groups have formed. Um, and, you know, in the developing world, in countries that are developing, you know, that are not like the U.S. where there's so, so, so many jobs that we can take our pick. There is basically nothing to do. Um, these women and men are ready, willing, and able to work, and they just don't have the opportunities. So I guess that's what just grabbed my heart so much. It's like, this is who God made me. I want to empower people. I want to help them get what they need to succeed and to to thrive and to... um, you know, to grow into all that God made them to be. Um, and so that's why I love Trades of Hope, because it gives people an opportunity where there just aren't opportunities. Absolutely. So, you know, um, I've seen some of the things. Uh, I know my wife has gotten some earrings. Mm-hmm. I, I know my my uh, my daughter, I think, got a bracelet, or an, it was a bracelet. And, I mean, it's just quality um, pieces of jewelry. Now, I know that maybe they do more than jewelry. I'm they assuming do. they do. They do. Um, but I've just seen a couple of the pieces of jewelry, which are beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, and what's amazing to me is um, it's such a special gift when you're mm. able to give that gift because it's it's not just something you would buy, I would say, anyway. I mean, it, yes. it's not as if you're just buying it for that. You see it and you go, man, it's a beautiful um, piece of, in this case, yes. jewelry in both mm-hmm. items. Um, but the other part is then you're handing someone, oh, this gift that represents a, a life that's being changed. Yes. And yes. and I just can't think of just the double blessing, right? You're given, you know, and it's not, you can buy it for yourself. I do. I don't want to say mm-hmm. that you would, but in both these cases, they were gifts. And I thought, what what an, what an amazing, what an amazing gift, you know, yes. to, to hand to somebody to say, wow, this is beautiful. It's something I certainly would wear, mm-hmm. but as you're wearing it. Um, I'm assuming as a believer, right? You put it on. How do you not pray for the person who made the thing and, exactly. and others like her who are who are dealing with the same type of situations in mm-hmm. life? And so it's it's, it's an amazing. Um, and I would assume if you have an art piece in your house, it would be mm-hmm. the same thing. How do you walk by it without being reminded? And it's easy, I think, in in um, in most of our lives. I won't say all of our lives. I'd say most of our lives. Who are listening to podcasts? I'm, maybe it's just myself. Um, you know, I live in relative safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't think twice. I mean, I, I'm. I'm watching. You know, I've, when I go places like all of us do. But, proof, you know, truth be told, as an American citizen where I live, the chance of violence upon me is pretty low. Yes. Um. And so that reminder is important. Mm-hmm. Because without that reminder, it's easy to to forget. Yes. That everyone doesn't have. Use the word privilege. Uh, no one. The opportunities and on yes. and on. Right. That that I have um, being here in Canandaigua, New York. That someone out in Bangkok or you know other places. You know, you mentioned Haiti, and and you know it, it's um, it's just a wonderful thing that you're doing there, that the organization mm-hmm. is doing there, and the opportunity. And you know, like I said, this this is going out originally. It's it's Black Friday, and mm-hmm. so if people are listening today, they they may be shopping, they may be standing in a line, they may be. Um, uh, maybe they didn't go out, but they know they still have to shop. How does someone connect with uh, Trades of Hope? How did how did they do that, and and how did they make a purchase? Yeah, well, you can always go to our website. So, um, 
so my role is to connect people with the beautiful artisan goods that are made. And so if you'd want to host an event, I'd love to partner with you on that, either like a virtual event or an event at your home. Um, we can invite your friends and then, you know, you get really blessed to be a hostess or a, a host for that. But you can always go to the website and that is tradesofhope.com backslash Melissa Briette. Um, and you can place your order. And it, just to your point, Craig, like I couldn't agree with you more. We are shopping this time of year anyway. And so why not just be a great steward of your gift giving and you know, make purchases that are going to do the maximum amount of good. So gifts that give back is one way or, you know, um, do good just by shopping. You know, that's that's what you can do when you partner with a fair trade organization like Trades of Hope. You know, it's for those, I, I think almost all of us now are familiar with the terminology, you know, is free trade. Mm-hmm. But talk a little bit about that for some yeah. that maybe that's a new term for them. Absolutely. I didn't know all that went into that either until I got connected with Trades of Hope. But it means that workers are paid a very fair wage. So they are paid good, good wages for where they live, you know, for their part of the world. They work in a safe environment. They are not going to be exploited and forced to work terribly long hours. Um, Many of these artisan groups provide child care um, and health care. Um, fair trade organizations also are committed to caring for the, envi- the environment. So they're not going to, um, you know, throw things away in a way that damages the environment or they're not going to pillage things from the environment that, you know, um, like mango tree, mango wood is very, very plentiful in, in India. So that is an abundant thing. It's good to use mango wood to make wood things out of. So they're not, you know, taking wood that shouldn't be harvested. Um, so those are the key tenets of, of fair trade. The environment is cared for. People are paid a living wage as opposed to sweatshops, right, where people maybe earn literally like a nickel a day. Um, now, I like the fact you say living wage because that's so yes. important that people understand that a living wage doesn't mean necessarily that they're making the same amount of money that someone who's in New York City is making um, because the cost of living there would be much higher than in some other places. But a living wage is sort of across the board to say, this is where I'm living. How much does it cost me to live here? And what would be a fair wage for that individual? Right. And so in contrast, another way we can talk about it, and it really does vary so much from country to country, but fair trade workers earn three to six times more than someone like working in a sweatshop. So that that helps to put it in perspective as well. And some of the sweatshops, uh, they're not even getting paid. No, no. They're forced. They, they yeah. can't leave. Yeah. You know, and so they, they may get food or something, to, but they're treated, I'm just going to be mm-hmm. blunt, yes. as animals, right? Yes. As, as work animals. Yeah. You know, we feed slaves. them enough so mm-hmm. that they can continue to work. Mm-hmm. We'll clothe them enough so they can continue to work, but not enough to, to – it's not a dignified place to work. It's not a place that honors human life. Oh, and another tenant I forgot of fair trade is that there's no child labor which again is prevalent too in the in the world's poorest places because, you know, families are just eking out. Um, they're just eking out a living, just trying to survive. So in some cases, right, their kids don't go to school. Their kids go to work at the factory or at the mill or, you know. So again, fair trade standards don't allow children to work. And it's a, you know, I don't know if, if um, 
everyone's aware, uh, but it, it's one of the number one ways in which children are brought into trafficking of all types is is through that, right? It's a promise to parents that we're going to care for your kid mm. if they come with us and we'll educate them and, mm-hmm. you know, we'll teach them a trade. Um, and the parents not realizing that really what they have just done is is um, really deliver their kids into the hands of those who are going to abuse them. And, yes. And, um, yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking horrific. to think about. It's mm-hmm. horrific. That's the word, horrific and sinful. Mm-hmm. I keep going back to the biblical yes, word. There's no, absolutely. there's no lesser word there. It's, it's uh, deprav- depravity of man mm-hmm. right there. It's, it's worst um, to do that to a child. I think the scripture says it's better to tie a millstone mm-hmm. around your neck and throw yourself into the water than to do something to the precious children of God. And so um, I, I just am thrilled about what you're what you're doing here. We're, you're going to hang over with me for another episode, so I'm looking Thanks. forward to next week. But but give give the give the um, website again, the, the name of the organization, the website, um, so that maybe if they're standing in line, maybe they'll look on there, and, and if they're in the line to buy something, maybe they'll look on there and say, well, I don't need to wait in this line. This is some good things right here. I'll just Abs- go home and absolutely, order there. Absolutely, yes. And again, we're not just jewelry. We're yeah. handbags. We're home decor were lovely items and, um, you know, stuffed animals and things for children, um, coffee fresh from the plantation in Guatemala. So there's just really a neat variety of things. So I hope you check it out. It's trades, as in fair trade, tradesofhope.com, and then backslash Melissa Briette. My last name is B-R-E-Y-E-T-T-E. Melissa, thanks for being here, and I look forward to our next episode together. Uh, but for those who are listening, I really do encourage you to check out the website. And, you know, uh, maybe you're buying something for yourself. That's okay, too. Um, you know, it's okay to get yourself a gift once in a while, but it, but it's a gift that's it's, it's a double blessing. Whoever receives it is going to be blessed. Um, but you're also blessing the person who, who made it. And uh, what, a, what a great mission. What a, what a great way to, to um, put the gospel to feet you know, and actually yes. do something that's making a difference. And so I encourage you to join me next week. Melissa will be with us next week uh, as we continue this conversation. Uh, if you want to know more uh, about uh, this podcast or Crosswinds in general, go to crosswinds.church. That's our website. Uh, but for now, be blessed and bless others. <laughs>